Hey folks, it's Jeremy, the host of Blamo. Thanks so much for listening. This is a preview of one of our exclusive shows on Patreon. These are member-supported shows, meaning they only happen because of our incredible members and community. So check out a preview of the episode, and if you like it, consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Blamo, where we have tons of exclusive Blamo episodes, shows, our amazing Slack group, and we're adding new things for members all the time. If not, no worries, we still love you, and we literally have hundreds of episodes of Blamo all free for you to dive into. Thanks so much. Hey, Peter. Hey, Derek. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you too. Um, You just got back from a bunch of menswear trade shows abroad. I did, and they were pretty amazing. Where, Where did you attend? I went to Pity in Florence. I went to Men's Fashion Week in Milan, and I went to Men's Fashion Week in Paris. And unlike previous times when I was there, I made sure to take a lot of pictures. I usually take pictures when I'm there. But Pity in particular, I was really focused on taking a lot of street style pictures because I usually don't do that. And I saw a lot of great stuff. For some listeners who may not know, um, who may be confused at why everyone congregates in Florence to seemingly just walk (laughs) around uh, in cool outfits, what is Pity? Pity is not a men's fashion show necessarily, although they do have fashion shows there. This year, they had Todd Snyder and Woolrich. It was a great, great show. They had a few other shows there as well that I attended. But generally speaking, Pitti Uomo kickstarts Men's Fashion Week and the buyers and sellers of various companies will come out. So, for example, uh, Nordstrom or Neiman Marcus, Bloomingdale's, they will send out their buyers and their men's fashion creatives to come out and see what's available. And the makers will all congregate in the Fortezza in Florence, and they'll show what they have. Ties, jackets, sweaters, suits, everything that you can think of. Clothing and accessories, shoes will be there. Alden (laughs) has a booth there. Uh, Inverter has a booth there. Uh, People from all around the world come there to buy and sell for the following season. So in fall, you are shopping for fall, winter of the following year. So it's always in January and June. So you are shopping for the following year's seasons. So that's generally how the fashion cycle works. You have creatives that think up of a collection, multiple collections, and then they show them and then the buyers will come and say, oh, okay, so this is great. Does this come in any other colors? No, these are the only colors because these are the ones you're focusing on. Okay, I'll take a size run of this turtleneck and I'll take a size run of this chore coat. Uh, Both of them are in dusty pink. Okay, yeah, that's fine. And that's how it goes. So that the designers will go back and put those samples into production. Does it seem like over the years, uh, more non-industry people show up? I did ask that. That's a good question. And from what I understand, yes, and they want that because Pity was never really in public awareness. It was an insider's, it was a tradesperson's show, which they like because there's not the crowds, there's not the photography, there's not the showing off, there's just people in the industry getting together, laughing it up, it's a little more casual, there's not so much drama, it's just there for business and everything is in one place, it's convenient, 
You stay in the center of Florence, you walk to the Fortezza, you do your business, you go out and you have dinner with friends that you've met, and you rinse and repeat a couple of days. However, in the early 2000s, with Tommy Tun and Scott Schumann going out there and photographing all of these amazingly stylish people, then it became very popular. I mean, this was the whole beginning of what we now know uh, as street style photography. It's been around forever, but with Tumblr, it just exploded, right? Yeah, people were, I mean, I remember those times when, um, they, I mean, there's just like the flood of photos of like well-dressed Italian and Japanese buyers. And uh, yeah, I mean, they just populated, they populated Tumblr like crazy. It was aspirational. You're yeah, like, oh, crazy. so that's how you dress if you know what you're doing. Yeah. And then and then people <laughs> would ask like, I really like this. I really like how Nick Wooster is dressing. How can I do that on 50 bucks? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Men's fashion on a budget yeah. is... Well, you you can take inspiration from a $2,000 outfit, yeah, but it's going to be difficult to replicate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was uh, the start of the hashtag menswear movement. Um, hashtag menswear being the nickname for the Tumblr tag that was used to find those photos. Yeah. And now it has changed because it became so popular with photographers. People wanted to show up and possibly be captured by Scott Schumann or Tommy Tun or whoever was out there documenting the whole process. And you have a lot of people that are still there that are not really part of the industry, but they're aficionados. They really like clothes and they like to be with people that are like-minded. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it went away for a while. You don't have as many of the wild dressers that you used to. And maybe because, I mean, I don't want to sound cruel because it's all fashion and it doesn't really add up to anything of importance. And if you get joy out of it, then that's fine. But you, you had people that were very colorful, a little ostentatious, and maybe they've just gotten tired of dressing that way and they've moved on. I don't know. But you, you, you see a little bit less of that. But you still see people that are there that are just hanging out and hoping to get photographed. And you mean fine. like it's the taste has changed? Is that is that what you're saying? It has. So you don't see as many of the tight suits anymore. Um, people are starting slowly to embrace a little bit of a fuller cut. However, there are some people who still carry that torch. Yeah. And they look like those same Tumblr photographs that we oogled over with uh, half undone double monks and right. uh, pants that are cropped way beyond what they should be. But that's cool. Yeah. Uh, but there's less of them. Yeah. And now you see, whereas you didn't see this too much before, now you see so much workwear. See a lot of Western wear. In see stores. a lot of Western wear. This year especially, uh, myself included, I really like Western wear. Uh, but you really saw a lot more work wear. At least I noticed it a lot more. And that could be because I was really focused on taking a lot of pictures. But I noticed way more work wear this year than I have in years past. Um I did see some really inspirational, classic menswear that I hadn't seen too much before. So because you're seeing a little bit of the fuller silhouette coming uh, a little more 
mainstream is not the word I would use, but you see it a little more often, especially compared to earlier years. You see some guys that look, man, just awesome. Straight Cary Grant, nice full suit, nipped in the waist, uh, not exaggerated, but a little extended shoulders, hair is a little longer, pants hit properly, kissing the top of their shoes. It's just, it's amazing to see. But those were few and far between. However, you used to never see that. And now you, you see a little bit more of that, which is really a pleasure to see. It's just executed so well. When you see it, it's just Jeff's kiss, man. It's Do so you, good. The things that have always interested me about Pity is, is what goes on inside the trade show. Ah. What the people that are the vendors are essentially selling for the following season. Were you able to make it inside to the trade show and see... I do sometimes. I didn't this year. Uh, I, though I did go in to see Snow Peak, they had some really amazing stuff. They m- had coffee that took about 10 minutes to make. <laughs> and they also had a really cool anodizing machine where you can dip in a, a vat of water, a titanium cup. And as the electrical current would pass through it, they would change the frequency so that it changed the color of the anodizing. It mm. was super cool to see. Yeah. It looks a little bit like a rainbow. That was cool. But inside, I didn't go inside too much this time. Uh, I will say that I did see some of the same people later on. So Volstar always has a booth there. I saw Volstar stuff later. Brunello Cuccinelli had a booth there. They always do. I saw their stuff later. So I, I saw some things on the inside, but I mostly stayed outside because I wanted to see what people on the street are wearing, which is part of the reason why people go there. So Brunello Cuccinelli is famous for saying the reason why he always comes to Pitiwomo is because it is the highest concentration of fashionable people that you can see. So he loves staying outside and looking around just to see what's going on, to take a pulse of what fashion is and how people are interpreting it or how they're pushing the boundaries. Whereas you do see some of that in Paris and Milan, no doubt, but it's not so concentrated. So the nice thing about Pity is you do have in one space so many people that are really into clothes in different styles, of course, and interpreted in different ways, but it is nice to see. So I mostly documented what was going on in the outside. What were some things that inspired you on the street? I saw a lot of workwear, but workwear interpreted in a different way than American workwear is interpreted. It's more military inspired. That's what I saw there. And it didn't used to be that way. Italians forever were not into vintage clothes. It was the rare odd bird that was into vintage clothes because they were always into la moda. They were always into whatever is the latest and greatest. Vintage or secondhand was kind of poo-pooed. It wasn't very... It wasn't viewed in the light that it is today. Now you see so many people that are into vintage military wear and Americana that it's great to see. So I saw a lot of that there. What are are some examples of the vintage pieces? So I I saw a lot of army coats, mostly from the uh, Korean-Vietnam War. I saw um, I saw a photo, I can't remember who's the photographer, but I saw a photo of Chase from Jay Muser wearing what looked like a military um, raincoat. So that is a Korean Co- coat. Yeah. That is an amazing coat. Um, Do you know the model name? I don't, not off the top of my head. It's on his Instagram. He okay. got it about a year ago, last I'd, winter, I, I want to say, or maybe two winters ago. I looked up Korean War raincoats, overcoats on Etsy, and it seems like you can get those for like 50 bucks. They're super cheap. Yeah, they're then, largely overlooked. Everything from the Korean War doesn't get the same love as the Vietnam War. It's uh, What I really liked about that coat is that it's it has a really full A-line silhouette. Yes. And while 
I would love to still one day own a coherence coat. Uh, that jacket, not saying it's a replacement for a coherence coat, but it looked like something that could tie me over until I can afford a coherence coat. Um, cause coherence makes these lovely, um, really just beautiful kind of like uncompromised silhouettes. They're, they're not slimming anything down. They're doing these like really cool mid-century cuts with like full skirts and A-line cuts. And that Korean War coat seemed like um, something that could kind of hold me over. And yeah, I, I looked on Etsy and they're like, you seem like you can get them for like 50 or 60 bucks. Yeah, they're an amazing deal. And I'm sure they're plentiful, maybe not as plentiful as the Vietnam War era ones. But yeah, the Coherence guy himself, I snapped a picture of him on the first day and I didn't know who he was, but I just thought, man, that guy is stylish. If you look up just photos of Kentaro Coherence, Kentaro Nakagomi, um, you can find photos of him. He, the f- funny thing about him is, um, I contacted him years and years and years ago. And, Did I, you? and I said, I really love your tailoring. Um, can I ask, uh, who makes your clothes? And he told me, uh, Vestrucci. Oh. And this was before, um, in Florence. Yes. And this was before, wow. um, the guy that owns Stefano Bemmer bought the Vestrucci name. Oh, before then. Before that. Huh. So this was before like Vestrucci was even really known in menswear circles. And he said, um, yes, Vestrucci makes my clothes, but he's not taking any new clients, um, which, you know, to me was just elevated him in terms of coolness. Because yeah. it's sort of like, <laughs> oh yeah, like I, I got this like in, in the 90s from this Italian tailor that you're just about to find out about. Um, and it's unobtainium. And it's, and it's, and it's unobtainium. But yeah, his, his tailoring is beautiful. He's got great taste. Um, but that Korean war coat for 50, 60 bucks seemed like a way to get a little taste of that without um, spending too much money. Yeah. What other military things did you see that you thought were cool? I saw, besides those two items, the Korean war coat and uh, one was a, a shorter a Korean military suit. Uh, let's see. I saw a lot of, and we already talked about Western wear and work wear, but this one was kind of cool. He said it was a German. So this guy's from Germany. And again, I don't say this disparagingly, but he looks like he was just plucked out of a sepia-toned picture from World War II. Yeah. Apparently, it is a World War II jacket with a shirling collar. I think they call it a barnstormer. And he's wearing <laughs> very high-waisted corduroy pants with five buttons and suspenders on the outside, as it should be done. It's an art to make those vintage pieces look cool. It's oh, this not, was cool. It's not automatic. This was really cool. I love that jacket. And he said this was vintage from Sweden. And I'll post it on my Instagram. I still have so many pictures that I need to post. But this is a Swedish uh, motorcycle, but military motorcycle coat. And it's asymmetrical. Uh, it's got buttons. It's got uh, a, like an anorak style center pocket. So when you imagine it buttons over asymmetrically, it goes over uh, like a double breasted jacket, which leaves a little bit of space in the front, about 10 inches or so. And in that 10 inches, it has a center pocket so you can easily get things in and out of. It's cropped, which is great for motorcycle wearers. It's got a, uh, not a shirling collar, but a, a fleece collar, which has a hook and latch. It's beautifully beat up. I just thought it was a really cool jacket. Not your run-of-the-mill military jacket. Just Eastlog does really a version cool. of that. Do they? Yeah. Oh. And it's also really, really nice. There's one um, one overlooked military, not military, it's a, it's a vintage workwear piece. It's a French hunting jacket. And you can see some old photos of like the 1950s of some like poets and artists wearing it. 
Oh, really? Um, you can sometimes find it on eBay, but it's got that kind of what you're talking about, this Barnstormers jacket. Oh, okay. It's this kind of like, it's a big coat, comes down to maybe like, you know, like just just above your thigh. Okay. And it's got a huge shawl collar. Um, it's kind of Jeep coat-ish and you can find them on eBay for like maybe 300 bucks. It's, it's always oh. the challenge of like, you're buying such a unique piece and you're going to have to like learn or like experiment to make it look cool because... Yeah. Some of these things do take like, you know, like you have to find the other right pieces in the silhouette and like to put the whole outfit together. Um, but I thought it looked really nice on, and you can find them on eBay for pretty cheap. And it's an alternative. It's something a little more unique than like the French tour coat, which is still cool. But you know, if, if you're looking for something different, this guy I really liked. Uh, I forget what his handle is, but even though it's a little gimmicky, so he has, a, I think they call it a Norfolk jacket. Yeah. Um, Bruce but, Boyer's in the, I think in the 80s, he called that a couch jacket because it made men look like couches. <laughs> yeah. I guess because of all of the, the tufting it's, buttons. Yeah, it's like the tuft buttons. And like, if you, yeah. if you actually, if you look at a Norfolk jacket, there's also straps going up and down. That's right. Which kind of makes you look a little bit like a couch. Like a couch, like luggage. Yeah. <laughs> but the silhouette, I really like the extended shoulders. Um, yeah, it has the curved collar, which I guess they call a club collar. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a little stylized and nothing that I would wear on the day-to-day. But here's something that I would wear on the day-to-day that I saw a lot of. And I saw a lot of oversized jackets, which just looked so great. Um, here's one by Zach, who is currently, he used to be the, uh, men's fashion, uh, guy at British GQ. And now he's at a gentleman's magazine, but I really like this large scale herringbone Balmacon that by now is pretty ubiquitous if you're a menswear nerd, but you still don't see this regularly on the day-to-day. And I like how he's wearing it pretty casually with uh, slightly oversized pants. Look at those shoes. You see those shoes? Are those square toes? They're not square toes, but they're pretty bulbous. Yeah. So... I don't know, man. Are square well, toes the, coming well, back? The thing, well, the thing of the wide leg silhouette is that it often demands a larger shoe. You're right. I have worn yes. dainty Belgian shoes with fuller cut pants, and I'm like, this is not working. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. You just kind of have to try it. Because I think sometimes, like, Le Maire does these, like, really full cut pants, and they do these dainty slippers, and I think it looks really nice. Yeah. Um, but to me, that's kind of hit or miss. Like you just have to try the combo yeah. and see if it works. Whereas if you're wearing full cut pants and you put on a big boot or a, a, a boot with a big silhouette, it's always going to look coherent yeah. because you're matching big with big. Yeah. I really like, uh, this guy goes by the name style and error on oh, right. Instagram. Tom, Tom is Tom Stubbs. Yep. And I really like his style in general he kind of pushes the envelope a little bit but i like his silhouette here he wore a lot of leather this year specifically leather from the late 70s early 80s so a little bit of a fuller cut Uh, he's wearing it with a double-breasted suit fuller pants i saw a lot of berets this uh, winter a lot of berets which very daring i am not a hater Um, it looks good on some guys yeah it does it is a daring move though it is. Oh, and then I got a chance to meet up with the guys at Anthology. I really like those guys. Yeah. They are, first, they're extremely nice. They're just such a, a pleasure to be around. But their cuts are getting a little more interesting, and they are pairing them 
I think, in a way that I think will attract younger people that are into menswear. Because you don't always want to jump from jeans to suit. But maybe you want to, and I hate to say this, but you want to have dressy casual. Is there, no, is there another way to say that? I hate saying smart because that's so British. And not that there's anything wrong with saying that, oh, you look very you smart dress today. it up and dress it down. Dress it up. Okay. So let's say you want to dress <laughs> up. And look at that. They're wearing jeans, but they're wearing them with loafers and they're wearing it with a sport coat and a nice crew neck shirt and an overcoat. By the way, that A-line overcoat in the covert. That's covert. Nice. You mean the... The, the cavalry tool. The I'm sorry, I said covert. They, the polo coat that they did in the Elsian cloth. I don't know if that's how you pronounce the word, but that's I, I just made that up. But it, the Elsian cloth, for those that don't know, is like a. It's made by Joshua Ellis. Yes, and it's a three layer cloth. Um, you can find it in old Brooks Brothers catalogs. Like by old, I mean like early 20th century, and it's got this. Um, essentially a herringbone, a textured herringbone pattern, but it's a pile that's been cut and it's three layers of fabric. And the second layer is a pile that has been shaved and it's, it's beautiful. Uh, you see that a lot on duffel coats. You, well, in Inverter yes. uh, is now using it for duffel coats. But like, if you go to Gloverall, they don't use it because this uh, Joshua Ellis fabric is incredibly expensive. I think it's close to a thousand grams. So it's... Yeah. <laughs> it's so I, 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 they sell it. You can buy, they sell to people outside the trade. I don't know what the trade price is. But for non-trade, meaning that um, if you're not... if Want to hear the rest? Listen to the full episode and many more other exclusive episodes over on our Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash Blamo to sign up and join the Blam fam. You also get access to our exclusive members only Slack group where we chat about this and a ton of other things. So head over to patreon.com forward slash Blamo and we'll see you there. 